0: Welcome to This Could Change Your Mind, the podcast where hot takes meet cold facts, exploring topics from plays to perms. It was not long ago when Canadian athletes were a dime a dozen, and superstar Canadian athletes were more than a rarity. But now, things have changed. Across countless sports like tennis, basketball, and soccer, Canadians are able to leave their mark on their respective sports, and they are seeing great success. In this episode, Will Baldwin explains why this could be the greatest era of Canadian sports.
1: My name is Will Baldwin. Welcome to another Hot Take. Growing up, my family used to make a ton of fun of me for how much it bothered me how Canadian athletes talked about their sports. Coming from a background where I watched sports where athletes expected excellence, it drove me crazy to hear the classic Canadian speech about how they were just happy to be there. But Will, my family would always say, making the Olympics is an incredible achievement. How is that not enough? Yeah, making the Olympics is amazing. No doubt about that at all. However, when you grow up idolizing Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, good enough isn't really in your sports vocabulary. I never understood how losing was seen as acceptable. It's an incredible achievement to play in the NHL or NBA or NFL, yet we criticize those teams and athletes when they fall short. Why does a Canadian who happens to be an Olympian instead of just a hockey player have to be treated differently? It never made any sense to me. Winning only in individualism is always charged as a negative American value. To me, when Canadians say things like that is negative. It's a cop-out. The idea that striving to be the best in what you do is bad for years is it just a uniquely Canadian value for too many. Of course, there's an obvious hypocrisy in this when you look at how we treat our hockey players. Every tournament, it's expected we win, and although we don't every time, we sure do a lot. It's almost as though this mentality of just not trying to win, but it rather expecting to, works. All of a sudden in 2010, things seemed to shift though. We hosted an Olympics and constantly talked about owning the podium. As a 12-year-old kid, this is exactly what I have been asking for. Watching us put up a winter Olympic record 14 golds felt like a validation for years of my complaints and the ensuing teasing I got from my family. 2012 was when the change became a real culture, though, and not just a 2010 blip. Particularly, I think back to the women's soccer team's inspiring run. Although they came up short in that controversial loss to the US, the idea Canadians were excelling in sports, like soccer, felt like a real shift. In 2010, we succeeded in sports we should be good at. By 2012, the achievement was coming in ones we had no history in. As the decade progressed, Canadians started to have a real impact on the highest levels of sport. No longer were we the cute hockey country who just participated in other sports. We were now winning at a level that when I was a kid in the 2000s was just a dream. As an example of the widespread improvement of Canadian athletics, take a look at the past five Lou Marsh Award winners since Carey Price took it home in 2015. Since Price, Canada's top athletes have either played swimming, baseball, skiing, tennis, soccer, and football. This all came to a head for me in the summer of 2020. As I sat at home and watched the Champions League final, European football's top annual club trophy, I saw a kid from Edmonton on the pitch. Seeing Alphonso Davies flying up and down the sidelines for Bayern Munich in the most watching annual sporting event of the year, I thought about how impossible this would have seemed years ago. Now, Canada is a country that can produce more than just the Sidney Crosby and the prices of the world. It can also produce the Davies or Bianca Andrescu or Chase Claypool or RJ Barrett or so many more. In just my lifetime, we've gone from an athletic afterthought in many respects to a country with elite talent all over. We're currently living in the greatest era of Canadian athletes, and as the inquisitive person I am, I had to do research to find out how we got here. All of you will be joining me in that journey, so let's get started on a journey to find out how Canada went from a country that infuriated me as a child to one that deserves athletic celebration in just a decade and a half, and is in the midst of producing the best athletes this country has ever seen. Joining me up first is Sean Fitzgerald, a national writer for The Athletic. As a reporter, he has covered the Olympics, Pan American Games, Super Bowl, Gray Cup, NHL playoffs, and NBA playoffs. In 2015, he was named Sports Writer of the Year by Sports Media Canada. Today, we talk the growth of Canadian sports, what's changed, and what the future could be. Enjoy. So, the genesis for the idea came in two places. The first was this summer, watching Alphonso Davies in the Champions League final. And it kind of sort of hit me how impossible this would have seemed 10 years ago then the second was in reading the Lumar, the Lumar's potential choices and kind of seeing it on paper how widespread the canadian talent is like we've got we've got the lead nfl players now we've got soccer players tennis players obviously like all these different sports so my question is for you do you agree this is the best era of canadian sports
2: i mean it's it's, it's interesting and certainly canadians can do a lot more um and i think there's a lot of reasons for that Um, I mean, you can take a look at, you know, how much of a role did Vancouver 2010 play? Um, that when, when Canada won the right to host the 2010 winter Olympics, something changed sort of fundamentally in how we approached amateur sport, elite amateur sport. Whereas before, you know, everybody sort of got what little money there was in the system. Everybody got carded. Um, the, the philosophical approach was you know, amateur sport for the pursuit of amateur sport. Um, And that was in the era where you know the the joke was that fourth place was Canadian bronze, right? Like we didn't aim for the podium. If we got fourth, that was just as good as a medal Um, heading into 2010, that changed that you started having things like own the podium come into play, which is that arm's length sort of funding mechanism whereby, you know, you are rewarded and your sport organizations are rewarded for performance. So if you are a biathlete who hasn't placed higher than 50th, you are not going to get the same funding as a cross country skier who has a couple of podium finishes and a bunch of top 10s that you know, they're going to get more money to, to work with sports psychologists, to get you know, better physiotherapists, to, to get equipment because Canada is targeting that to win. If that, that approach to win um, changed fundamentally um, the way we view elite amateur athletics. And, and, you know, from there you have things like B210, um, which is spelled uh, the letter B and then the numeral two, and then the letters T E N, which is, uh, independent, entirely independent, uh, not for profit where, you know, a bunch of very wealthy Canadians basically threw millions of dollars into a pot. And you can go as an elite athlete and say, look, you know i'm in bobsled i'm going down this hill in a sled that's older than i am um you know can you give me money to get me a new sled and they're going to evaluate it based on a whole bunch of metrics like your your past performance your potential performance your age um, all of these other metrics and they'll say yes we'll fund you we'll buy you this new sled but you have to come on our program and work with our nutritionists our sports psychologists etc cetera, etc cetera. they've worked with some of the most famous names in canadian elite amateur athletics like Like people who have been on cereal boxes. So I think 2010 in one respect sort of changed the way that we approach sports. We don't approach sports just to sort of go and do it. We go there now with an eye to winning it. And I think that helped change, you know, not just the mentality of winter sports, but obviously summer sports and has sort of permeated the, the broader landscape. Now you patch that into the fact that, you know, the choices are broadening for what we do. Um, and what we per, put our kids in when they go to play sports where, you know, before it would have been unheard of for a lot of small towns to have, say, an indoor soccer bubble where you could play year round. Now that's that's fairly commonplace that even mid-sized towns, small towns have a place where kids can play soccer. And more than that, you know, they now have the demand. Um, so you have, you know, soccer, you have basketball, you have all these other sports that are growing along the same lines and along the same time frame as you know, Canada's approach to what it means to compete on a national, international stage, um, what that means. Um, so I think they all come together and, and sort of produce this environment where Canadians know that they don't just have to be good at curling or hockey, that there's a whole bunch of things um, that they can be good at.
1: So you mentioned the idea of the Canadian medal being fourth place. My parents used to make so much fun of me because I would get really mad as a kid making fun (laughs) of the idea that like we would interview Canadians and they would give the, I'm just happy to be here speech. But, uh, 20 years ago, could you have seen us dominating all these non-traditional sports like this? I mean, we're still
2: not dominated, right? Like we're still, we're still a fairly small country. Like there's what, 39 million of us. So we're basically California except cold. Um, like in terms of population base, I don't know if we'll ever be able to be, you know, dominant in one of these sports. We'll we'll certainly be able to excel. We'll certainly be able to, you know, put a lot of really talented athletes on the world stage um, and be very competitive, which is a huge step. But on, you know, on a pure population basis, it's tough to say that you know we're going to go out and we're going to continually put out, you know, um, Felix Yassim and. Yonka and dress We're just going to send armies of them out onto the tennis world. That's not going to happen, just by basis of our population. And the fact that, you know, it still costs a lot of money to produce one elite amateur athlete on top of, you know, winning a lottery in terms of ability and desire and having all those come together. Um, but yeah, I mean, dominate is a really strong word. I wouldn't say that. I'd say that we're far more competitive in a far broader range of sports and activities than we would have been 20 years ago.
1: So it's interesting that you say that. So do you think in fifteen years we'll just look at like, hey, it was it just happened to be the confluence of we happen to have a really good soccer player, this tennis golden era, and a bunch of really good basketball players, a really good golfer. Like, do you think we're gonna look at back and just be like, Wow, all those sports randomly kind of peaked at the same time? Or do you think this is gonna be a more sustainable thing where maybe we're not producing consistently these top top athletes but like we'll still be consistently producing high quality athletes for our population size
2: yeah i mean you're also forgetting that you know chuba hubbard led the ncaa in rushing uh two years ago right um like that you know having a kid from high school in edmonton lead the ncaa in rushing is not something that you would have expected 20 years ago um i mean if you're looking 15 years from now a really interesting question will be you know, are we even dominating hockey at that point? Like, you know, if you take a look at the United States, uh, there's a lot of draft picks in the first round who have uh, Stars and Stripes next to their name and and not a Maple Leaf, as we've always come to assume, Um, that as we are rising in a lot of these other sports, um, individually, you know, some team success, um, you know, you can make the argument that 15 years from now, based on current projections and trends that we're not actually going to be dominating the sport that we traditionally dominated.
1: So what is the sport that maybe because football, I think, is an interesting one, because football has been here for as long as any sport. And yet it seems like just now we're starting to produce high quality NFL players. Like We got DuVernay Tardif, who obviously didn't play this year, but uh, we also got Claypool, like you mentioned, Hubbard. Like we're finally producing those so is that the sport that maybe in four or five years that one starts to be the one that starts to really roll like we've seen a soccer or a basketball has in the last five years
2: and that's also another interesting question too is the future of football that you know as we continue to learn more about things like chronic traumatic encephalopathy and you know really terrible brain diseases and injuries um stemming from repeated head trauma know what the future of football looks like period Um, that you know you take a look at registration in high schools in former powerhouse regions like New Jersey and certain parts of the Northeast that registration for high school football is dropping off Um, so you know might football be sort of at the at the peak of its Roman Empire days and then 15 years from now it might be on the same trajectory as say boxing you know like boxing in the first half of the 20th century was one of the dominant sports right up there with horse racing. But now they're sort of there on the fringe. Um, maybe maybe football becomes a, a regional um, source of sort of fanaticism, um, but not as broadly international it is. A, I mean, not an international, but not as much of a, a broad national spectacle in the United States, which is an interesting discussion in itself. But, I mean, to your point and to your question, um, I think that that, along with... You know, basketball and other sports, soccer, um, you know, the breaking down of whatever barrier there was, whatever wall there was of, of Canadian kids having access to the NCAA, I think that, you know, having those erode or come down um, has helped open up opportunities that might not otherwise have existed. That, you know, Chase Claypool, um, you know, 20 years ago might not have been so easy for him to connect. With you know the head coach of the University of Notre Dame um, from a small high school in suburban Vancouver, but now with you know technology being where it is, with you know the availability of, of you know uh, video recording devices, frankly, where you can record him doing what he did to those poor kids on the field in <laughs> Vancouver, and having you know the head coach of one of the most prestigious universities in in the United States being able to see it and then fly up. I don't know how that process would have unfolded 20 years ago. Chase Claypool might just be a dominant player in the CFL right now otherwise.
1: So I guess the kind of last question is, where do you see this going? Where in five, 10 years do you see us as Canadians looking at athletics? Do you think we're going to, with this, you mentioned the, imp- the impact of added funding on these amateur sports?
2: Targeted funding, targeted yeah. funding.
1: So do you think we're going to continue to see growth. We're going to continue to see Canadians putting up um, performances in sports that we have never really seen before. Or do you think it'll kind of like revert to a more realistic meme that maybe we could have expected 10 years ago, if that makes sense? I mean,
2: part of this is recently to bias too. And I don't mean to you know, impugn the idea here. Like it, it is objectively true that Canadians are doing really well in a lot of different pursuits. Where before you know they would have been really difficult to find. I mean, take a look at the NBA, take a look at the NFL, the NCAA, um, you know uh, women's professional basketball, uh, women's soccer, um, all of these places that the Canadians are excelling. Yes, you're absolutely right to your thesis that you know, that hadn't happened before, but that's not to discount the fact that Canadians had been successful in before like you know Mike we are one of masters. Mm-hmm. Um, that hadn't happened before that, um, you know there were Canadian athletes who did succeed on the world stage. Um, you know Ferguson Jenkins in, in baseball. Um, you know where Canadians had opportunities, Canadians have succeeded. Um, now you know it certainly seems like that number is increasing. But but what really is 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 the root? Is it is it because there's just more opportunity that Canada's kind of modernized? Is it because Canadians have changed their mentality when it comes to approaching athletics, where it's it's not, you know, necessarily something where you just go to compete, where it's you go to win. Is it, is it that, you know, the the youth sport industrial complex that has really, really spread in the United States has also reached here, where you have club basketball teams, you know, you have tournaments, you have travel, you have all of these things. Um, Canadians spending thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to get training and coaching and nutrition. Um, is that all part of it? Um, I, I think that. It'll take a lot of study, and I don't think we have the answers, but I think it's probably that all of those things sort of got tossed into the salad bowl, and and what you see here is that result.
1: Up next is Anne Merklinger, the CEO of On the Podium. Merklinger is a former national swim team member and curler who played in the Scotties Tournament of Hearts on multiple occasions. Merklinger's role at Own the Podium is to lead them in achieving their mission of providing the technical leadership for Canadian sports to achieve sustainable and improved podium performances at the Olympic and Paralympic Games through a values-based approach. Here Merklinger and I talk about Olympic success, future goals, the importance of sport, and more. Kind of just to start, for those who don't know, what is the goal of Own the Podium?
3: Uh, Well, On The Podium is a technical agency with kind of two uh, components of our mandate. The first one is to provide technical advice for Canada's national sport organization to help them win medals at future Olympic and Paralympic Games. And then the second piece is to provide uh, investment recommendations on behalf of the funding partners that, uh, again, contribute to helping national sport organizations win medals at upcoming olympic and paralympic games
1: is there a moment in either 2014 2016 or 2018 that kind of stands out as like the why we do this kind of thing like the hey this is the point of this entire organization if that makes sense
3: well i I believe very strongly that um success canada's success at the olympic and paralympic games uh adds tremendous value to canadians uh, to canadian communities to young boys and girls who look at uh, the many successful athletes who come back to their communities uh, and those young boys and girls uh, can be inspired and motivated and want to be like them Um, want to be like them not so much through being successful in high performance sport but recognizing the importance of establishing a goal uh, a plan to achieve that goal uh and then then implementing and and delivering on on what your what your goal is and so you know whether that means that uh, young boys and girls are um, you know aspiring to be successful in music or arts or business or science or being more physically fit and active. Uh, I, I think the impact of Canada's athletes and coaches being successful at the Olympic and Paralympic Games uh, can um, add such value to Canadians in every aspect of their lives. We, we saw the impact of Vancouver 2010 Winter and, uh, Winter Olympic and Paralympic Games on our country like like nothing we've ever seen in high performance sport before and uh, sport and success on the world stage in sport um, helps uh, strengthen communities it helps unite our country uh, and it helps inspire and and motivate canadians
1: i mean i could not agree more with you i think back to some of the most fundamental memories of my childhood and upbringing and probably three of the top five are canadian olympic moments like i've like as any Canadian who was around in 2010 and remembers it. I mean, that goal, I don't even need to describe it any more than that. 2012, the women's soccer team, just the idea that, hey, we have a soccer team doing this. Like, and then honestly, in 2016 with Andre de Grasse, just watching him push maybe the greatest athlete of all time. Like Those amazing Canadian Olympic moments completely stand out in the course of my memory.
3: Uh, Yeah, I I couldn't believe I couldn't agree more. I I really believe that that Vancouver was a turning point, a moment in time uh, that really had a significant impact on our country. I believe we're a different country than we were prior to our success at the Vancouver Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games. We're much more confident and and proud and um, determined country in so many aspects of our society. And Uh, We fortunately have been able to sustain that and uh, Canada's athletes and coaches on the heels of Vancouver continue to believe that uh, they can be on the podium. Uh, They aspire to be on the podium and we see them on the podium.
1: I was going to actually ask you because obviously you were an extremely high level athlete for a long time and you represented Canada at the world championships. So it's interesting to me to ask, do you notice a shift mentally for athletes when they're competing for canada like do you notice a shift from the classic uh we're just happy to be here canadian to the hey we're trying to win this thing canadian like do you see that difference with our athletes today
3: i have seen that difference since vancouver and you know heading into vancouver uh, we had hosted the games the uh, summer uh, and winter olympic and paralympic games on two previous occasions and in neither of those occasions did we win uh, a gold medal. And so one of the key objectives in hosting the Vancouver Games was for the Canadian team to be successful. And the leaders of Vancouver and all the many partners involved in hosting these, those games knew that if the games were be to be successful, then our Canadian athletes and coaches had to be successful. And that's what happened. And um, you know the, the success of Canada in those games was was unprecedented and it really did transform the mindset of many sport organizations and many sport leaders and athletes and coaches that were involved then and are involved now and we've really been able to maintain that uh, that cultural belief that uh, that Canadians can uh, be successful in the Olympic and Paralympic Games they They believe they can win, they want
1: to win, and they are winning. As a uh, proud Calgarian, you do not have to tell me that we (laughs) didn't win any gold medals in Calgary. It's a uh, source of a sore spot, I think, (laughs) in the city. Um, Would you classify Own the Podium as a success based on its goals going into Vancouver and where we are, I guess, 13 years later?
3: Yeah, the early days were in 2005-2006, and it was very much focused on performance in Vancouver. Uh, Again, on the heels of Canada's success at those games, uh, the key funding partners, largely at the time, the Government of Canada uh, maintained the financial investment into what is now called the Targeted Excellence Strategy. Uh, And so that is, you know, almost 10 years later. That financial support, uh, which is critical to Canada's athletes and coaches being successful, that financial support has been sustained, and, and uh, we've been able to, you know, see uh, continuous improvement in our overall medal count at, um, you know, many of the Olympic and Paralympic Games, summer and winter, hosted since Vancouver. So yes, I think it's been successful. Uh, you know, that said, as an organization, we're always looking at where we can improve. How can we be better? Um, you know, what is going well, uh, What are what's not going well, what are some innovative approaches that we can uh, explore and consider to help us continue to get better. So we're, we're never satisfied. Frankly, as an organization, we're always looking for uh, opportunities and ways to be better tomorrow than uh, we are today.
1: So to wrap this up, let's get into those goals because I think it's interesting, like you're saying, that it's one of those things where sport is great because as long as you're still competing, you're never fully satisfied. So looking forward at Tokyo, China and on, what are the goals of on the podium and the COC?
3: Well, you know, we work very closely with both the COC and the Canadian Paralympic Committee in establishing specific objectives for upcoming games. We're we're in the midst of that right now. We're also in the midst of an unprecedented pandemic. And I'm unprecedented environment that has impacted every country around the world and has had a significant impact on Canadians and on on Canada's athletes and coaches over the past year. So this will be, um, you know, the the landscape heading into Tokyo is unprecedented. It is like nothing we've ever seen before. So our focus over the last uh, eight to 10 months has been in helping national sport organizations uh, develop plans and protocols so that athletes and coaches and support staff can return to training first and foremost Uh, and then thereafter the focus has shifted to return to competition so that is uh, the degree to which sport organizations have been able to implement those plans varies from sport to sport Uh, varies from winter to summer, Olympic to Paralympic, and so it's a very kind of unique conversation with each one of those sports. So uh, still our goal in in working with sport organizations as they prepare for Tokyo is to ensure that they are optimally prepared in a pandemic. Um, You know, and so that's, we've never said before, optimal preparation with the last three words in a pandemic, but that is that is what um that is what we have and uh it's been quite phenomenal to look at the resilience and the adaptability and the determination and the perseverance that um every athlete that and coach and and support staff member has demonstrated over the last uh you know year in Uh, getting back to training and doing uh, the best possible preparation that they can do heading into Tokyo.
1: Well, I for one sure hope the Olympics happens. I know it's not a guarantee right now and I'm holding my breath, as I'm sure you are as well. But uh, thank you so much for joining me on this. I really, really appreciate it. And all the best in the upcoming Olympics. I know Canadians will always be cheering for you guys. <laughs> Th-
3: thanks so much, Will. And I, I know that um, sport will play a critical role in helping Canada build back better and helping Canada rebuild and reheal heal uh, and reunite Uh, post-Covid, so um, sport is a, a critical part of the fabric of our country.
1: Donna Spencer is a Canadian sports journalist who has been covering Canadian sport for over two decades. Her first Olympics was in 2000 in Sydney, and since then she has been a staple of the coverage for the Canadian press. Here, Donna and I talk things she's noticed that have changed in her time covering Canadian sport and the potential future for the country's athletics. So what was the first Olympics you covered?
4: Um, The first Olympics I covered was in 2000 in Sydney, uh, Sydney, Australia. That was my very first Olympic Games, and that was a good one to start with. I mean, I wouldn't say that um, Canada has been super strong in the Summer Olympics. Um, I think there was a little bit of a dip there, sort of in the... Uh, sort of the earliest part of the century, right after the turn of the century. But I think we saw in Rio, there was a real um, improvement in, um, in Canada's performance at Summer Olympics. Um, it's taken a little bit of while, it's taken it some time to sort of get the same traction under it that the winter side has. But also you have to keep in mind that summer sport, the competition is tougher. There's so many countries that compete in summer sport. And I mean, you know, just look at, you know, Jamaica and sprinters, there's lots of countries that specialize in, um, certain summer sports and they do really well, so I would say there's a lot more competition. Um, the field is, is a lot deeper on the summer sport side for sure.
1: Why do you think we saw that growth in the summer Olympic production, at, in 2016?
4: Well, I think um, there's been a lot of learnings on the summer sport side from the winter sport side. I mean, obviously heading into the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver, there was just a ton of um, effort, motivation, resources put in to having a successful host team in 2010 in Vancouver. And A lot of those learnings and a lot of, um, you know, to sound boring, all the processes and systems have also been adopted on the summer side, Um, but it's it's taken a little bit longer because there, you know, there hasn't been the the hosting of a games to really push that along. Though I think um, the Pan Am Games in Toronto helped that for sure, Um, but also I mean we are a country of of skaters and skiers i mean we have a huge population base to draw on for athletic excellence because so many people so many kids take up winter sport and that's not to say they don't do summer sport
1: i mean when you look at because i think one thing we forget about as canadians is we have a really small population like our country in size is obviously large but in terms of like the population of those other countries we're going up against, like you mentioned in the Summer Olympics, where there is even extra competition, we only have thirty-five million people.
4: Mhm. Yeah. And um, you know we're also not a country that's um, for outdoor sport, for outdoor summer sport. You know, it's just not a country that's conducive to training year-round a lot of track and field athletes for example have to go and and train elsewhere whereas in winter sport it's right out the back door and having the 88 olympics and the 2010 olympics has given us a couple of sliding tracks um which is pretty amazing you just said it we have a small population now the issue with with facilities like that is they have to be accessible and um, they have to be in a place where people can get to them. I mean, Calgary's track, which is currently closed, awaiting renovations, and I, I don't know if it'll ever happen. You know, there was a population base of a million people right around it. So that's um, a huge reason why Canada's had success in sliding sports, for example, um, because so many kids could go try it after school here in Calgary.
1: Yeah, because like, I think part of why I wanted to do this is not necessarily just talk about the success Canada is having now, because I feel like it's not as interesting to kind of look at, is is this like one of those golden eras where it's just a coincidence that we have an elite tennis player at the same time we have an elite soccer player at the same time we have an elite golfer? Like all these things just happen to come together, and in 10 years we'll go back to where we were pre-2010. <laughs> Or, or if it's like actually this sustainable thing where, like you're saying, we've adopted these systems in these unique sports that maybe weren't as cared about prior to 10 years ago, and that this is going to be a sustainable thing where Canada is going to start producing high quality athletes in all these random sports that maybe five years ago you would have had no idea about.
4: I certainly don't know everything, uh, every single detail of Alfonso Davies' story, but I think as a country we're better equipped to nurture talent, support it and provide opportunity. And in some sports where we're we're not really known to be strong or, you know, uh, soccer or even baseball, um, you know, we've certainly um, been producing some Canadians who play in the NFL. And, you know, I believe at one time, you know, that was pretty unheard of. so I think we're better as a country of providing high-quality opportunities, training environments, better training environments as, um, you know, athletes develop. I think we're better at that. So, you know, that one in, we'll say, 200 talent, you know, has a better chance of reaching the highest levels of the sport.
1: So in the next five years what sport do you see being the next women's soccer or maybe even a basketball where we're not thinking about it now maybe there's been some small signs of success but in five years we're going to look back and be like man 2021 we probably should have seen this coming like there was an idea of this
4: (laughs) that's a really interesting question oh boy um yeah Huh. It's tough. And, and, you know, we also see that sport is cyclical. So, um, you know, Canada can be really good in a sport for a while, then it kind of tails off and then it bounces back. I would say tennis has been like that. Um, um, hmm. where do we see that we're going to be great in five years? Whew.
1: So a good example is I'm looking at the 2016, uh, olympic results right now sure and same medal women's rugby Mm -hmm. we're we're not known as a rugby country per se but we took home the bronze medal in the rugby sevens so could that be an example of maybe a sport where it's been around every or most high schools have a rugby team but like that soccer team it's hardly comparable to the high level countries around the world but maybe now when we start seeing like that that bronze medal from that rugby team could be the sign of something coming
4: yeah i mean i think um it's no secret that um when it comes to high performance sport it's women at the front driving that train you know we're a country that um you know really ascribes to Uh, equal opportunity in sport providing the same type of training environments and so i think that women are going to continue it's certainly on on the high performance side women are going to continue to really drive canada's excellence uh i believe um i would say that yes the the team you just mentioned soccer swimming um and even you know combat sports, Canadian women are really good at it, and I I see that continuing and and perhaps you know even improvements. I mean certainly Canada is a contender, but you I mean maybe you never know. Um, I think that certainly the women's rugby team has shown the potential uh, to win sevens championships, um, and it's we figured out a way. And it's not easy in a country as big as Canada. You just mentioned that um, we're a huge country, small population, it's difficult to get teams together uh, to train for an extended period of time. It's difficult, it's expensive, and it's a, it's a sacrifice on the, on the part of the players. But I think um, we're better at figuring out a way to make that work. Um, we're way better in team sports, summer team sports we have a record number qualified for tokyo and there quite frankly was some investment made some base investment made uh, around around 2010 2011 2012 that look we need to have a base amount of funding for these teams uh rugby volleyball water polo softball you name it so they can so they can you know build a contending team and we've actually seen that happen so um you know 5 years from now are we going to be known as a a real powerhouse in team sport, summer team sport, maybe. Um, But, you know, as I say, that's it's cyclical, right? So you do and that uh, that sort of excellence kind of rise and falls depending on a lot of things. And, you know, quite frankly, a lot of it is funding as well.
1: I think your point about women's sports is uh, really fascinating because although we try and have it equal, it's obviously not equal yet. But the reality is, is Many of our biggest names in sport right now are women's athletes. Like you look at Rosie McLennan, Olympic gold medalist, Penny Alexiak, gold medalist. I mean, andrescu like many of our biggest name athletes right now, which is kind of unique, I feel like around the rest of the world are women.
4: Right. Brooke Henderson, for sure. Um, I think there's sort of two things here. I mean, sort of on the high performance side, I would say there is more equality. And if a women's sport has a male counterpart, we'll say like a major tennis tournament, like the U S open, you know, women's sport has done okay in the pandemic, but I would say the pandemic has exposed, um, inequality in sport. And certainly when I look at women's hockey and they were contributing factors to that, but sort of on, when you look at leagues, pro leagues, women's leagues, there's there's been some real issues there because um, only sort of the large and quite frankly, male sports have the resources to, to run sport in the pandemic. And a lot of female sport doesn't have that kind of resources. And we saw with the NWHL bubble in Lake Placid, it just didn't work didn't happen they had to bail so i mean i would say that uh in in canada women's women are really really yeah rising to the top in in their respective sports um but there's still some inequality there for sure
1: so i think a good way to end with this final question you kind of alluded to it with uh the pandemic but I think a a fun question for someone like you who's been covering Olympics for, it should have been 20 years, but now we're at 21 because it got postponed and who knows. But what does Canadian athletics look like to you in 15 years? What do you think, based on what you've seen in the last 15 covering it, that we could see in another 15? How's it different? Do you think, like we just were talking about it? women's sports maybe don't get the funding that they should. We fund it better than other countries, but we're also not at the level that it should be. So maybe is that that is that a fundamental difference in 15 years. What do you think it could be?
4: I think so. Um, you know, women's pro sport and, you know, we're using the hockey example, you know, has to figure out a way to be sustainable. Um, you know, the you know, the women want to be able to make a living wage and and do what they do, and so they have to figure out a way to, quite frankly, make money. the The current you know business model for sport is your TV, your television rights package, um, the sponsorships that go with that, your event sponsors, um, and you know, and having that over long term. And that is kind of the way it is. Um, you know, women's sport is still grappling with that. But what I would say though is we have so many different ways to view sport now on social media, streaming packages. Um, there's if you are into a sport, you can find it and watch it. So how do how does female sport monetize that and make it work for them to you know achieve? their dreams of, you know, being truly pro and, you know, women's basketball, women's soccer has made some inroads there. Women's hockey still has a ways to go. Yeah. But I I do think that the, what's the word sort of the democratization of how we consume sport is going to be good in particular for female sport. I do think that.
1: So uh, first and foremost, I just wanted to thank Sean, and and Donna for taking the time to talk with me. I know I, for one, learned a lot, and I hope you did as well. I think it was in weird ways, or maybe not weird ways, but in cool ways, especially with uh, Anne inspiring. So I'm very glad that those three took the time to talk to me with the experience they have and the knowledge they have. It was pretty invaluable, and I think I started this by saying I wanted to have a bit of a research into understanding this golden age of Canadian athletics. And I think in talking to those three, especially with Anne and uh, Don and Sean, I guess as well, but especially with Anne as the CEO of On the Podium, getting the behind-the-scenes look at what the heck goes into uh, Canadian athletics these days. But I think I want to end by leaving you with something to ponder, because we've learned a lot today in doing this, and... We've seen a lot in Canadian athletics. But I want to leave you with this thought in a sort of prediction. Because a lot of this podcast has been very retrospective and historical and looking back on what's happened. So I thought, why don't I leave you with a prediction of what I think is gonna happen with Canadian athletics? And I think what's gonna happen in the next 10 years, like I talked to Don at the end there, is I think we're going to see the marginalized and the groups that have experienced inequalities in our Canadian society continue to make strides in sport that allows us to continue to thrive in sports that maybe we didn't have to or previously have before. So like we talked about women's sports, for example, giving those women's athletes the fair and equal opportunities And I think something like a social media is going to do a big help in helping us get to a place where women's sports is on an equal ground with men's sports. And I think we're going to see those marginalized groups get these opportunities that, you know, they just haven't gotten yet. And in looking at the future of how Canadian sports can continue to grow and is this the golden age, like, or is this a peak? And I think it's honestly going to continue for an extended amount of time. Like, of course, Donna talked about how it would be a cycle and Sean talked about uh he talked about how who knows we'll do some research on this and we'll see i think that this is going to be here to stay for the foreseeable future because of those groups and because of those new funding opportunities like own the podium that we're seeing that didn't exist in the 80s or 90s back when canada wasn't putting out quite as much athletic talent as it's clear here in 2021 that we had the capability to so i'll just leave you with the thought that my prediction is, based on this research that I guess Sean said needed to happen, and we did it here in this podcast, that's why you listen to it, <laughs> is um, Canadian athletic greatness and achievement is here to stay, and we're not going anywhere. Well, thanks for listening. My name is Will Baldwin, and this hot take is, uh, this is the greatest area of Canadian athletics. And I think it's here to stay.
0: That was Will Baldwin's argument for why we are in the greatest era of Canadian sports. Join us in the next episode where we'll discuss black hair issues.